So from what Pastor Bill said and what we heard, just heard on the video, we know that God is love. The scripture is 1 John 4, verse 8. I won't turn there, but uh, we should be aware of that scripture. 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. He's a God who chooses to do good. He helps human beings. And we appreciate that. But the Bible also speaks of God's wrath. Now, wrath is an old-fashioned word that is not used very much anymore in our culture. But it's a word that can be translated anger, upset, <laughs> uh, anything along those lines. So the question I ask you today is, how can a, a being who is love also have anger? We should expect that the God who loves the human beings he created would be in opposition to anything that hurts us. So God is love and he truly loves us. We know that he loves us so much that he gave his only son to be a, a sin sacrifice on our behalf. So you have to understand that God loves us so desperately that he is upset by anything that hurts us. You know, for those of you who have kids, you love your children so much. And if there's anything that would hurt them, you get very upset about that. And you really, you're on your guard watching and protecting your kids because you don't want them hurt. Why? Because you love them so much. Well, God is the same way. What is it that hurts us? Sin. Sin hurts us. So anything that opposes God's love is sin. If you want an example or a definition of sin, it's anything that we're involved in that goes against God's love. God wants what's best for us, but sometimes we get involved in things or lifestyles or certain acts that really don't have anything to do with God's love. And it's something that's hurtful to us. It's something that uh, goes against God's wishes and desires for us. And that's sin. So God is against sin, just as we would be against anything that would hurt our children. We are God's children, his sons and daughters. And when we sin, God is against sin because he sees the damage that it can do and does do in our lives. He wants to counteract sin and eventually eliminate it. Now, Bible prophecy tells us that he is going to do that at some time in the future. Because God loves humanity, he hates sin because it is the enemy of his love. This is what the Bible means by the wrath of God. This is what upsets God, sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates the behavior that we're performing. He hates the sins that we commit. So God loves human beings, but he hates the sin that hurts them. He's not angry at people for who they are. He's angry at their behavior. God wants a good outcome for people, not a bad one. He did not create the human race for destruction, but for redemption and salvation. Now, God is sinless. He is perfect in his nature. He is holy, total holiness in his nature. So if he did not oppose sinfulness in humanity, he would not be good. 
Therefore, it is impossible for a just God not to have wrath towards sin. So can you kind of wrap your, your mind around that? Why would God have wrath? Why would he get angry? Well, it's part of his love, actually. He loves us so much that he is upset with anything that we do that hurts us. Sin, in other words. So that's why God's wrath exists. That's why the Bible talks about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to focus on his love and his forgiveness, and he truly is loving and forgiving. But there's also room for God's wrath. <clears throat> now, there's a present and a future aspect of God's wrath. I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul talks about the effects of, if you will, God's wrath in the world today. Because we know that there's sin going on in the world today. There's still a lot of sin going on. And here Paul talks about people suffering the effects of their sins. And in a sense, that's already God's wrath at work. It says in Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men and women are without excuse. So what he's saying here is, when it comes to believing in God, we should be able to look around at God's creation and see his handiwork. We should be able to realize that things like this, trees, grass, flowers, the human body, this didn't just happen somehow like some people like to believe, that it all somehow evolved from something that came out of the swamp, we should be able to look around and be convicted that there is a God. You know, when, we, when you compare Earth to the other planets in our solar system, all you see out there is devastation. There's no life that has been found. There may be some time, but when you compare that to Earth, you know, some of these uh, rich guys now, are talking about moving to Mars <laughs> and living on Mars and setting up human colonies on Mars. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I like it fine right here. I feel at home here on this planet. I have no desire to live on the moon, to live on Mars, because those planets as they are, they're not suitable for human habitation. God created this planet where we can dwell. You can go outside and breathe with not, without a problem. You can't do that on Mars. You have to have packaged oxygen of some kind or you'll die. Same thing on the moon. So I have no desire to move to another planet. I like it here <laughs> because this is where I think God wants us to be, at least for now. So he goes on to say in verse 21, talking about our sinful society, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So that's been a lot of the history of religion. When you go back through the ages, there have been a lot of cultures that have worshipped, you know, images of birds and cattle and, and things like that. So notice verse 24. So this is God's wrath at work now today. He allows them to go ahead and proceed with their darkened understanding because that's what they choose to do. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So there's something about sin when someone is determined that this is the lifestyle that they want to live that God kind of stands back and says, okay, go, go at it, you know, see, see what happens. And our society is, is devolving and it's going deeper and deeper into perversion and it's getting worse and worse. And in, in a sense, they're suffering God's wrath because they're determined either not to believe in God or to go against God. So in other words, people suffer wrath because God just stands back and says, okay, go ahead, if you're determined to do it. Kind of like when Pastor Bill was gonna try out the tobacco. You know, his mother saw what he was doing, but to learn the lesson, she just stood back and said, okay, let, let him give it a try and see what happens. And only later did she tell him, well, by the way, you know, the dog uh, peed on that, <laughs> that spot of ground there a little while ago. So it was a real shock for Pastor Bill, and you know, and he learned a lesson. So it's kind of similar with God in our society today. It says in verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. What better description of our society today? When you read the news or watch the news on TV and you kind of shake your head and you can't believe some of the stuff that's going on in this world today. But God is saying it's part of God's wrath. He's just allowing people to go deeper and deeper in the mire and in the mud. So there is a wrath that exists here and now when God allows humans to continue in sin and they degenerate suffering negative consequences along the way. But the Bible tells us that there's also a coming wrath. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
and verse 9. Breaking into the middle of a thought here, it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. He's talking to the church at Thessalonica, complimenting them. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So there's not only a wrath of God that exists in the world today out of people's determination to sin and to reject God totally. They're suffering today because of their sin, and that can be considered God's wrath. But there's also a coming wrath. And as this scripture says here, it happens when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, returns from heaven. In other words, the second coming. That is going to be a time of wrath as well. But notice that as he says here, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So Jesus did something by which we can be rescued from the wrath that is to come. And, you know, when we talk about the wrath that is to come and what it's going to be like when Jesus returns, we know it's going to be troublesome times when it happens. We don't know exactly what it's going to ha- what's going to happen in every detail, but it's going to be a time of judgment. It's going to be a time when people are going to be held accountable for all of the wrong things that they've done, all of the sins that they've committed. It talks about it being a time when nothing is going to be able to be hidden in the darkness anymore. A light is going to be shining on everything. And it's going to be a difficult time. But Jesus did something by which we can be saved from that coming wrath. Uh, Notice in Matthew chapter 13, many ways that the time of wrath is described. This is just one of them, but you could probably think of others. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24. Jesus gives a a parable here of, of weeds growing amongst good crops. Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus told them, In a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appear. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow only good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull all the weeds out right now? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So this is one way of describing God's coming wrath. It's going to be a time of judgment. It's going to be a time where God is going to point out who all along have been his people versus who have been his enemies. He goes on to uh, fully explain this in verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went to to the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. 
and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is just one description. There are many throughout the Bible, especially in Jesus' teachings, of what that time of wrath is going to be like, the time of the judgment, when Jesus returns in glory, and what's going to happen then? Well, like I said, God is going to point out (laughs) who are the righteous and who are the wicked. In our society today, nobody knows. Now, we know because we have God's truth, and we know what is right and what is wrong and how we should be living as Christians. We don't always do it perfectly, but God has given us that that wisdom and knowledge. But in the world today, if you ask somebody who's good and who's evil, they've all got their own opinions on what is right and what is wrong. And to a great extent in our society today, as, as Bible prophecy says, They call good evil and evil good. So people are confused today. They just rely on their own opinions on what's right and wrong. God is going to return and he's going to point out to everybody who is right and wrong. And those that have been right all along are going to be rewarded. And those who have been wrong all along are going to be judged. So this is what God's wrath is all about. It's a time of judgment that the world cannot avoid. God is going to bring it about with the return of Jesus Christ. So here's a predicament that the whole world is in. There's coming a time of wrath and a time of judgment. Now, we've all sinned. God says there is none righteous, no, not one. All have come short of, the, of God's glory and, and what he expects of us. So we see that God provided a way long, long ago to escape his coming wrath. Before the foundation of the world, God provided the means by which we can escape his coming wrath. Now, we know that the plan was, and it was fully carried out, that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus would live his life in the same situation that we're in, in the midst of a fallen world, And he suffered through his life here on earth. He was persecuted uh, just as we deal with from time to time. But we know that Jesus, having lived a perfect life, went to the cross to die, even though he was innocent of any wrongdoing. But he died in our place. He took the penalty. He took the wrath of God that we would certainly have had to pay. He took it on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. This was God's plan from the beginning. And like I said, the book of Revelation says, calls Jesus Christ the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that means that this whole plan of the son of God dying for sinning human beings was planned out even before God created the world. God knew in advance that he create, was to create this human race and that they would all fail, that they would all sin. 
So God, out of his love and his concern for his creation, for his children, you and I, he decided to save them. The only way that he could through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. So God isn't just a wrathful God who looks forward to punishing people in the world, you know, for their sins. He provided a solution. Now, it's up to us whether we, we want to decide to pursue this salvation and this solution and this escape from God's wrath. It's all our own personal decision. Once we hear the gospel and learn about Jesus and who he was and what he did for us, we have the choice as to whether we want to believe it and then make it apply to us personally. And most of us sitting in this room have made that decision. We heard the gospel and we thought, wow, that is good news. I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned many times throughout my life. And we know that God's wrath is coming, but God has provided a way to escape. Now, what I have to do is I have to believe God, <laughs> believe that he exists, believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He wasn't just a man in history. And have faith in that. And believe God's promises that by accepting Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf, making it personal for me, that I can be saved. And that I am saved. And we are saved from God's wrath because we have claimed Jesus' sacrifice for our own lives personally. And like I said, it takes humility to do that because first you have to admit that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And then you have to believe and have faith in that. So Jesus suffered God's wrath in our place. And the fact that his death was necessary and the fact that his death was so painful and horrible kind of shows the seriousness of our sin. Sometimes we don't think our sin is as bad as it, as it really is. To understand that, all we have to do is look at what Jesus endured in our place. That would have been our suffering if he didn't do it. It shows us what would have happened to us. Now, Jesus did it willingly and presents it to us as a free gift. What a wonderful God we serve. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get this free gift of salvation that God presents to us. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, beginning in verse 9. So there's some action that we have to take. We can't save ourselves. All we have to do is believe and have faith. And we are saved because of what Jesus did on our behalf. It says in Romans 5, verse 9, Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So we don't have to worry about the future and this coming wrath when Jesus returns because we have been saved from it. Verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we now be saved through his life? So he continues living at the right, right hand of the father as our high priest, as the one who intercedes for us to God the father. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
So through Jesus, we've been reconciled to the Father. We, we cut ourselves off from him through our sins, and now the relationship has been restored. You know, I remember a story, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. We talked about this a month or so ago, the time of the Exodus. We know that God's people, Israel, had been enslaved in Egypt for centuries. And they had hard labor to do, and they were mistreated by their Egyptian taskmasters. But God's plan was to rescue them from slavery uh, in Egypt. So I think most of us know the story of how God sent Moses to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go, to turn them loose, to, to free them from slavery, so God could eventually bring them into the promised land where they would be really blessed. But the Pharaoh said no. And many times when Moses approached him, the Pharaoh turned him down. So God decided, well, we need to influence him a little bit. So we're gonna give him a lot of plagues that the whole nation's gonna have to suffer. So one by one, all these plagues that went through the land of Egypt, the plague of flies, the, the, the plague of frogs, the, the plague of disease on the livestock, you know, all sorts of, of plagues that the people of Egypt had to endure, uh, but the Pharaoh was still stubborn. He wasn't gonna free God's people. So finally, the last plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn was really gonna strike home for the Pharaoh. His firstborn son was gonna die. So this plague, God's wrath was coming on the land of Egypt, but God provided a way of escape for his people. And what did he do? Well, he told them that every family has to set aside a lamb, a little lamb that was spotless and without blemish. So it had to be a, a good looking lamb with no physical problems. And they had to, to take that lamb, each family had to take that lamb from their flock and cut its throat, kill it, sacrifice it. And then what they had to do was they had to take the blood of that lamb and go back to their, their houses, and they had to put the blood on the lentil of the door and on the two side posts of the door. That house was marked with blood in the entranceway. And they had to do that because the destroyer was coming through the land that night, the death angel. And the, the firstborn of every family was going to die. So can you imagine the uh, Israelites at this time being given these instructions they didn't totally understand what was going to happen, why they, had to did the, why they had to do this. Maybe some people thought it was kind of silly or they were just confused, but they did it. And that night, the death angel came through the land and the firstborn of every family died. Now, that's a wonderful story of God's salvation and saving his people. And can you imagine... And I think for those of you who saw the old movie, The Ten Commandments, it kind of portrayed that where the people were in the houses and in the neighborhood all around, they heard people screaming and mourning and lamenting because death was coming through the land and people were dropping dead in the different houses, but not in the houses of the Israelites because it was covered with the blood. And what the death angel did is he passed over those houses. That's why it's called the Passover. But for those of us today with the, the Holy Spirit, we see the significance of that and how it applies to us today. We know that God's wrath is coming. 
with the second coming of Jesus Christ, and God has provided for us a way to escape. Now, we don't take a physical animal and kill it and take its blood and put it on our doorposts. We look to the lamb without blemish, who was Jesus Christ. Don't forget when John the Baptist saw him first, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we look to the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross. And when we hear that gospel, that good news, and when we believe Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to take our place when it comes to God's wrath, in a sense, his blood is sprinkled on us. And just as the blood was put on the, the, the door frame of the houses, in a sense, it's put on our heads and on our arms, kind of signifying maybe sins that we commit in our thoughts and sins that we commit by our doing, <laughs> if you will. So it completely covers us. It covers the sins, all the sins that we commit, the blood of the lamb does. And just as the lamb was to be without spot or blemish, Jesus Christ, of course, lived his life without sinning once. So just as the Israelites cowered in their houses on that night of God's wrath and the night of the destroyer coming through the land, we find ourselves under the blood of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus returns and the wrath of God comes on the earth, the time of judgment, we are saved because we have been covered with the blood of the lamb by acknowledging Jesus' death on the cross and that it applies to us personally. We humble ourselves and repent of our sins and tell God that we need a savior and please will Jesus be my savior. And God says, so it will be. So we thank God that his wrath will eventually disappear after it served its purpose. God's wrath is part of his love. He wants what's best for us. And just as a loving parent will sometimes discipline their children because you want them to grow up right, you want them to be a blessing, you want them to receive God's promises, not curses. So sometimes when we see our kids going astray, we have to correct them, we have to discipline them. And God does that with his wrath. He loves us but he hates the wrong things that we do. Just as a parent, your kid gets into trouble, you still love your kid. You're just disappointed and upset about the mistakes that they're making and you hate to see them suffer for them. And we are gonna suffer for the sins that we commit. You know, we as Christians are not free from suffering consequences of our wrongdoing. You know, if you go down speeding downtown like a maniac with your car and you get pulled over by the police and you get thrown into jail and get fined, yeah, you're going to have to suffer certain consequences, even though you're forgiven by God and you're not going to be under God's wrath in the future, we still may have to suffer consequences of wrongdoing today. And God allows that because he's teaching us the lesson that don't do those things, it's going to get you into trouble. You know, if you go out and cheat on your mate and your marriage ends up coming apart at the seams, God can let that happen because you shouldn't have done what you did. You need to learn the lesson not to do that, okay? We need to obey God. 
God wants our life to be happy. He wants it to be filled with blessings. And when he sees us going the wrong direction, he can intervene and do things to kind of wake us up and get us back on track. Now, the Bible says that eventually his wrath is going to disappear when sin is finally conquered and destroyed. Jesus did the work already on the cross, but there's still sin around in the world. It's not going to be until that time of judgment comes that Jesus straightens out everything and makes everything right. The time is coming that sin and the penalties of sin are going to be gone. We have assurance in the promise of his peace toward us because he has once and for all dealt with sin in Jesus Christ. God has reconciled us to himself in the saving work of his son, thus ending wrath. So we're going to see the complete fruition of that in the future. But in the meantime, we still struggle in a fallen world. Sin is all around us. People are suffering horrible consequences because of their sins. Hopefully it's not us because we know a better way to live. And by God's help and strength, we can live that way and we should live that way. But we know that we're forgiven of our sins. And we look forward to the time when there won't be any more sin. What a world that's going to be at that time. What an existence that's going to be with God, living with him for all eternity with no more sin, no more temptation, and no more penalties for sin. We look forward to that time. It's going to be tremendous. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us from your word that wrath is necessary on your part. You're a God who is love, and we so appreciate that. But we also know that sin upsets you. You hate to see your children suffer because of the sins we commit. And uh, a certain amount of wrath is necessary. Father, we just pray that we can wake up and get the point and not have to suffer unnecessarily in our life. But we thank you especially that you have provided a means for us to escape the coming wrath. The time when your son is going to return to this earth a time when all things are going to be made right, but we have the confidence to know when that time comes, we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have already been declared forgiven by you and uh, not guilty. Not by our doing, but by the doing of your son, Jesus Christ. So help us, just as the Israelites stayed in their houses during the time of the destroyer, Help us to stay in the presence of Jesus Christ, in relationship with him, to be in Christ, so that we have no fear of the future and what's going to happen. So thank you, Father, for being our Father, and thank you for the privilege of being your children. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.